Amen. Amen. Good morning, Golden Corner. Good to see you. If uh, you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along with me, why don't you turn to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 21. Luke 2, 21. If you don't have your Bible, just a moment, the, the verse is going to be on, uh, on the screen and uh, we can read them together. We're in a series of sermons entitled, People You Should Know Jesus. And it is our goal to get to know Jesus better than we know him now, and hopefully better than we've ever known him. Now you may be, if if it's your first time, you may be thinking, well, why would I want to? It's just this plain and simple. Everybody's looking for something. And I believe everything we're looking for can be found in Jesus. And the better we know him, I really believe we're going to make that discovery. And so what we're doing is we're just kind of moving through the book of Luke, section by section. And we're looking for anything that these verses might reveal to us about Jesus so that we can know more about him. Because I think that's a first step to knowing him better. And so we're going to read these verses, and as we do... Uh, I want you to be looking. I want you to be looking carefully for anything these verses might reveal to you about Jesus Christ. So you're ready to read the Bible? Good, good. Nine o'clock crowds had their coffee. They're fired up. They're ready to go here. Let's start reading verse number 21. The Bible says eight days later, eight days after the birth of Jesus Christ, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, as young parents... Jewish parents, Joseph and Mary had some details to take care of. They had four things they needed to do. Number one, they had to give a name to their son. And you understand that when I say their son, that this was Mary's son, and God had performed a miracle in her body so that she could bear this son. But we're going to, you know, the Bible refers to Joseph and Mary as uh, Jesus' parents, so that's the way we're going to refer to them. And so they got to give him a name. Now, This wasn't a very difficult process for them. They didn't have any heated debates. You know, Joseph saying, I want to name him after my dad. And Mary going, well, I want to name him after my dad or grandpa or whatsoever. They didn't have to go buy a book and go through a multitude of names. And why don't we call him Zeke? What about Pete? What about Waldo? This was really a very easy process. Because prior to Jesus' birth, an angel told Mary, you're going to name him Jesus. And an angel told Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. So this is pretty easy. What are they going to name him? Jesus, which means the Lord saves. So they took care of that detail. Detail number two, they had to have him circumcised. Jewish law required that on the eighth day after a male child was born, had to be circumcised. Now this was important. Because circumcision was the outward sign that a Jewish male was in a covenant relationship with God. And that's why they were doing this. Detail number three. They had to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. All Jewish parents had to dedicate their firstborn son 
to the Lord. Let me tell you why. It's just, just a detail that I came across. And the reason was this. On the night that God delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage, God came through the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn child in every Egyptian home. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that's just kind of cold-hearted. That just sounds cruel, that God would do something like that. Well, you got to understand, for 400 years, the Egyptians had held God's people in captivity, and they had treated them cruelly. And so God had sent Moses to the Egyptian leadership and said, here's the deal, let them go. Now, if they had just cooperated, there would have been no problem whatsoever, but the Egyptian leadership decided they were going to play hardball with God. They bowed up and said, absolutely not. Under no circumstances are we going to do what you're telling us to do. Oh, guys, listen. We don't ever take that tone and that stance with God. And God was kind of like, you want to play hardball? Watch this. So that night, as a last resort, he killed the firstborn in every home, but not in the Israelites' homes. He made a distinction. He spared the firstborn in every Israelite home. But he said this. He made a a law, and that was this, that from this point on, every firstborn son will be dedicated to me so that Jesus' parents were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. Dedicated their son to the Lord. Now, there's a fourth detail. Mary was supposed to offer a purification offering. And... uh, When an Israelite woman gave birth to a son, she was considered to be unclean for seven days. And then, for an additional 33 days, she was forbidden to come near anything considered to be holy. And after the end of this 40 days, she was to offer up a purification offering. And according to the Bible, it was supposed to be a yearling lamb and a pigeon or a dove. Now, in in the event that the people were poor, they could offer... Two doves or two pigeons? What did Joseph and Mary offer? Two doves or two pigeons? What does this tell us about them? Uh, Jesus wasn't born into an upper class family. Jesus wasn't born into a middle class family. Jesus was born to poor people. He was raised in a poor home. Now let's keep reading. Verse number 25. You hang with me now. Hey, now listen. You're looking for anything that these scriptures are revealing to you about Jesus, aren't you? You're actively involved in this process, right? Good. You're my 9 o'clock crowd. I'm counting on that. Look at verse number 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, look what he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, speaking of Jesus which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. So in Jerusalem, there's this 
older gentleman, I, I imagine, named Simeon. He's a godly man. And at some point in his life, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that before you die, the Messiah will come. The Messiah was the promised king of the Jews who was going to, you know, was set everything right for Israel. And he revealed to him, before you die, he's coming. And here's a little bonus. Before you die, you'll see. Now, I don't know how the Spirit revealed that to him, if it was in a dream or if it was in a vision. Or maybe, maybe one day Simeon is just sitting reading the Old Testament, some of the prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah, and the Spirit of God said that to him. I don't know, but he knew. And one day... The Spirit led him to the temple. I don't know how that happened. Perhaps the same way the Spirit leads us occasionally. He just had this urge. He just had this inner compulsion that I need to go to the temple. So he goes down to the temple. And while he's there, Joseph and Mary come in with Jesus in order they could dedicate him to the Lord. And at that time, I believe the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who had revealed to him, You won't die before the Messiah comes. You'll see the Messiah. And who had led him to the temple showed him that baby is the promised Messiah. He revealed it to him. So Simeon goes over. And i got to believe with Joseph and Mary's permission, he takes the baby in his arms. I want you to think about this. Now, he's he's got this baby in, in his hands. And he begins to praise God. He's talking with God. And he said, you know what, Lord? I can die happy now. I can die happy because I know your Messiah is here. And he's going to take care of a lot of problems that that, that have needed to be solved for a long time. I can die in peace. God, I can die happy because you fulfill your promise to me. You told me he'd come before I died. And you told me I could see him. And look, there he is. But they went on. He, knew, he, he said, not only is he your Messiah, this is your salvation. In other words, Simeon was saying, this is the Savior. This is the one that you have prepared. Not only to save Israelites from their sins, but to save people from all nations. And then he says something that's kind of mind-blowing to me. He said, and you know, he's looking at this child and said, and he is a lot that will reveal God to all people. You know what the word light means? Reveal means? It means unveil. This is what Simeon is saying. This child is going to unveil God. Get that imagery in your mind. This child is going to lift the veil on God so that people can see God clearly and know exactly what He is like. And then he says, and I'll tell you another thing, this child will be the pride and joy. This child will ultimately be the, the pride and joy of the entire nation of Israel. I'm telling you, this old man was jacked up at this moment, knowing who he held in his arms. Look what, he, look what happens next. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to, to Mary, the baby's mother, I want you to really look at this statement. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to, you see that word? Fall. Oh, we don't have the words up? Well, I'll just be doggone. So I don't guess you can see that, can you? Trust me, I'm reading from the Bible. 
And the word that you should be seeing is fall. We'll fix that. Now listen, Simeon says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. And then he says, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he's saying this to Mary, and he says, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, Joseph and Mary are listening to Simeon and all these wonderful things he's saying about Jesus. And they're absolutely amazed. I mean, up to this point, everything that anyone has told them about Jesus has been good news. And then Simeon turns to them and says, oh, yeah. And I, let me par- I've got to paraphrase this. These verses were extremely difficult for me to understand. I've got to be honest with you. I took eight to ten hours Tuesday alone just to look at this little passage of Scripture. It was complicated to me. It was confusing to me. But in essence, this is what Simeon said. He turns to Mary and he says, I want you to understand something. Everybody's not going to view your son the way I view your son. I see him as the king of the Jews. I see him as the Savior. I see him as God in flesh. I see him as the pride and joy of Israel. Everybody's not going to see him that way. Some people are going to look at him, and they're going to see him as someone who needs to be opposed. Everybody's not going to receive him. Some are going to reject him. Some are going to attack him. Some are going to hurt him. And when they hurt him, it'll hurt you because you're his mama. You know what the Bible called those words? Did you? I know you didn't see it, but if I read it. You know what the Bible called those words? A blessing. Man, if that's a blessing from Simeon, I don't want to catch him on a down day. Do you? Everything had been good news about Jesus until now, and now they're hearing some bad news. Look at verse number 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanua from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Look at this. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So there's this prophet in the temple. She comes by and hears what Simeon is saying. Now she is in tune with God. This is a godly woman. And immediately had to recognize that Simeon is speaking for God. 
She recognized who the child was, and she began to praise the Lord. And she obviously goes into the temple courts and maybe out into the streets, and she knows that the Israelites are longing for better days, and they're praying for and waiting on this promised king to come and and set things right for the Israelites. And so she goes out to encourage them, and she starts telling everybody about Jesus. Let's look at our closing verses. Verse 39 and 40, it says, When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the Lord. Now listen, they were poor, but they were godly. It says they returned home to Nazareth and Galilee. There, and don't you? Oh, yeah. There's four words there. The child grew up. You see that? The child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. You know what the, those four words, the child grew up, tell me about Jesus? He was human. Now, Simeon has already pointed to his divinity or his deity. He's saying when people look at Jesus, they're going to see God. So here we're discovering that Jesus was human as well as God. This is one of the amazing things about Jesus when he was on this earth. He was both human and God at the same time. As a human, Jesus had to learn to walk. You ever thought about that? I mean, listen, he didn't jump out of the manger and just start walking down the streets of Bethlehem. As a human, he had to learn to walk. As God, one day, he would walk on water. As a human, somebody had to feed him. As God, one day he would feed 5,000 families with one child's lunch. As a human, he had to learn how to talk. As God, he would speak and the winds and waves would obey, obey his voice. As a human, he would take pieces of wood and create furniture. As God, he made the trees from which the wood came. Have you ever thought about that? Now, Joseph and Mary were poor, but there had to be some perks about having God around the house. You know, that had to be better than Google. I I don't know how curious, if you've got a curious mind, I always have questions that come to my mind. You know what I do? I, I Google it. What is this? Who was that? Whatever happened to can you imagine having Jesus? You're, you're, you're getting ready to watch a movie and you go, who was that guy that played Dish in Lonesome Dove? Jesus goes, D.B. Sweeney. Now, who was the girl that played Lori Darling in Lonesome Dove? Oh, that would be Diane Lane. I mean, any question you have, you just turn to Jesus, he's got the answer. Having Jesus in the house was a whole lot better than having the Weather Channel. I mean, you're planning your weekend... And you turn to Jesus and say, what's he going to be doing Saturday or Sunday? Listen, the Weather Channel's guessing. Jesus didn't guess. And here's where it really paid off. If it looked like it was going to be raining on your weekend, you could say, hey, uh, Jesus could pull it through strings and... (laughs) Having Jesus in the car was a whole lot better than having your personal navigation system. Can you imagine being on a family vacation and one of the kids go, how much longer are we going to be here? And Jesus says, one hour, 31 minutes, and 17 seconds. (laughs) 
having Jesus in the boat. Can you imagine the father-son fishing day? It was a whole lot better than the most expensive graphics you could have put in the boat. Hey, listen, we got two instances in the Bible where, where guys came up, was skunked on their fishing trip, and Jesus said, I'm going to tell you why the fish are over here. Can you just imagine just doing that and say, Jesus, where are they? They're right here. Now, what have we learned? Okay, we're through reading. What do we learn about Jesus in these verses? Now, I want to share with you one thing that I feel I learned. People see Jesus differently. And maybe another way to word that was people view Jesus differently. How did Mary see Jesus? She saw him as her son. So she did what Jewish moms do for their sons. On the eighth day, she had him circumcised. And since he was her firstborn, she also took him to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. While at the temple, she meets a man named Simeon, and he saw Jesus a little differently than Mary. Yes, he acknowledged that Jesus was Mary's son, but he saw much more in Jesus. Simeon saw the Messiah, the king of the Jews, who would one day rescue his people from Roman rule. That's the way he saw him. He also saw Jesus as the Savior, the one whom God had prepared, not only to save Israelites, but people from all nations, including you and me. He also saw Jesus as a light that would, re- would reveal God to people, which means that Simeon saw God in Jesus, and he was confident that others would as well. Simeon saw Jesus as bringing great honor to his people, the Israelites. Before leaving the temple, Mary encountered a prophet named Anna, and she, Anna saw Jesus as the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And she saw Jesus as someone that all of her people who were in distress needed to know about. She saw Jesus as the hope of Israel. Both Simeon and Anna saw Jesus in a very positive light. They saw him as the solution to a lot of problems for a lot of people. However, according to Simeon, everyone wasn't going to see Jesus this way. Simeon told Mary that some people would see Jesus as a person who should be opposed. There were people who would see Jesus as the solution to a problem. There were others who would see him as a problem. Some people would see Jesus as a means to a better life. Others would see Jesus as a threat to their current life. Some would see Jesus as a light to follow out of the darkness. Others would see Jesus as a light who was about to expose what they had hidden in the darkness. Some were going to be comforted by Jesus' arrival, while others would be threatened by his arrival. People see Jesus differently. I think this is true today. Some people see Jesus in a very positive light. Others see him in a negative light. Before becoming a Christian, I saw Jesus as someone to avoid at all costs. My grandfather was a professing Christian, and when he came to our house... I stayed in the yard. 
Because I knew he was going to talk about Jesus. I, I just wanted to avoid that. If my mom and dad turned on the Billy Graham crusade, I went to the other room. I'm telling you, Jesus was somebody I wanted to avoid at all costs. I saw him as a threat to my lifestyle. Someone who wanted to make sure that I never had another minute's fun. I saw Jesus as somebody who could be helpful if I was dying. And man, if I'm dying, I certainly want him there to, to help me. But I saw him as completely irrelevant to my life. I saw Jesus as someone to keep at a distance and not somebody I wanted to be close to. I saw him as a harsh, condemning judge and not a loving, supportive friend. You know, others apparently looked at Jesus as someone to receive. I viewed Jesus as someone to resist. People see Jesus differently. Now, here's a question for you to consider. How do you see him? Just think on that for just a moment. How do you see him? Now, in light of this, the fact that people do see Jesus differently, what do we need to do? Here's what I think. Two things. We need to know Jesus. It is true that people see Jesus differently. Uh, However, some of our perceptions are accurate. Some are not. Prior to my conversion, my perceptions of Jesus were all wrong. A moment ago, I asked how you see Jesus. Do you see Jesus as somebody who would like to empty your life? That's not Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus came to give us a full and satisfying life. Do you see Jesus as a condemning judge? Like I did? Well, that's not Jesus. Jesus is not into condemnation. He's into forgiveness. Do you see that Jesus would like to take away all your freedom and just put you in bondage? That's not Jesus. The Bible says Jesus came to set us all free. It is important that you know Jesus so your perception of him is accurate. You know why that's so important? Your perception of Jesus will determine whether you receive or reject him. For several years, I rejected Jesus because I thought he was someone or something that he wasn't. God only knows what I missed out on all those years that I resisted Jesus, and I shudder to think how close I was to missing out on heaven because of all my misconceptions about Jesus. Don't make the same mistake I did. Get to know Jesus so that you understand who he really is. So we need to get to know Jesus. Second thing is, we need to make Jesus known. Simeon said that Jesus would reveal God to people. A big part of Jesus' mission on this earth was to make God known. Now, how could he do that? In John 14, there was this guy named Philip that walked up to Jesus and he said, Will you show me the Father? And Jesus replied and said, The Father's in me. And I let him work through me so that when you see me, you're seeing the Father. Just as Jesus made the Father known, the Bible teaches that we're to make Jesus known. 
we are representatives of Christ. It is our job to reveal the real Jesus to this world. How can we do that? Well, Jesus is in us. And when we let him work through us, he makes himself known to others. Now, don't you listen to this. People ought to be seeing Jesus in us. People ought to be seeing Jesus in us. But I believe to a great degree that we're failing at this. And that's why misconceptions of Jesus are rampant. How often are our actions Jesus' actions? Jesus is gracious and merciful. At times, we are vengeful and spiteful. Jesus is holy, pure. But for us, oftentimes we are comfortable with our sins. Jesus is forgiving. We love to hold grudges. Jesus is accepting. We're often condemning and judgmental. We're selfish. Jesus is selfless. No wonder people have such misconceptions about Jesus. I believe the church is grossly misrepresenting him. So what do we need to do? Listen to me. We need to grow up. You say, man, you're not sounding much like Jesus. <laughs> In these last comments you made, you've kind of veered away from what Jesus might say. I believe Jesus, to be honest with you, with us. And I believe if there was anything he could say to the church very plainly this morning is, you're misrepresenting me. You were, you're, repre, you're representing me. People are supposed to be seeing me as I really am in you. And man, everything's getting kind of clouded. I think the solution is this, we've got to grow up. The Bible teaches that God intends to change every believer into the image of Jesus Christ. You know why? He wants us to grow into Christ-likeness so that others can see Jesus in us. The goal was not just to keep us out of hell and get us into heaven. The goal was not just to make us better people. I'm telling you that the goal was to make us like Jesus. So how do you grow up? All right, I'm going to give you a crash course in, in, in spiritual growth. You ready? How do you grow up? Number one, learn the Bible. The Bible is spirit, our spiritual food. And just as you can't grow and you can't be healthy, you know, without a healthy diet, you cannot grow spiritually apart from the Bible. 
Now, I know what some of you say, Ronnie, I, you, know, that's, you may be thinking to yourself, Ronnie, I appreciate the fact that you're just taking us through the Bible and that on Sundays you preach the Bible. And, and I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're taking this in. But if this is the only meal you take in this week from the Bible, I can't say that you're going to develop you know, into a healthy believer. I can't say you're going to grow and be healthy spiritually. It takes more than that. That's why I created the blog, which is called... Man, you got that down, Pat. That's why I created it, so to help you know where to go and what to look for and what to do so that you're in the Bible hopefully every day because we must learn the Bible if we're going to grow. But secondly, you've got to obey the Bible. Knowing the Bible doesn't do anything. you just got to know the Bible before you obey it. It is when we obey the Bible that the transformation takes place and we grow. It's the third thing we've got to do. We've got to endure hardship. Now, here's what the Bible says, and you're going to think this is bad news. The Bible says everybody will at some point experience difficult times on this earth. Everybody. Good people, bad people. Everybody does. But this is the promise the Bible makes to us if we'll endure those hard times. In other words, we don't just give up on God in the midst of the hard times. If we'll endure them, the Bible promises that on the other side we'll be changed, that we will grow, and we will be more like Jesus. Now, you know what it takes to endure hardship? You've got to be connected to, you've got to have some type of vital relationship with other believers who are growing so that in the midst of difficulties they can help you keep going so you keep growing. But what if we don't grow? Then people don't see Jesus in us. You know what they see? They see a distortion of Jesus in us. And that's where all the misconceptions about Jesus come from. And based on these misconceptions, people are rejecting Jesus. And they're missing out on everything that God has for them. Here's what we learned last week. If unsaved people are going to hear about Jesus, saved people are going to have to speak up. That's what we learned last week. Here's what we've learned this week. If unsaved people are going to see Jesus, saved people are going to have to grow up. What are people seeing in you? Let's pray together. Father, this is my prayer. Help us get this this morning clearly. Permanently. That it is our job to reveal Jesus through the way we live. Through our attitudes, through our actions, through the things we do and the things we refuse to do. That it is our responsibility to allow Jesus to work through us so that others encounter him and see him through us. 
And Lord, I, I know, I would assume that everybody here has been challenged by that thought. We're good. Whatever we need to do, God. Whatever changes we need to make to our schedule, to our priorities, so that we become growing believers. Help us recognize the need for this and the seriousness of this right now. Help us to sit down sometime today, maybe, or, or, or tomorrow. And begin to look at our schedules and how we can work the Bible into the average day. And God, help us. Help us to do what we learn that we should be doing. I pray that we'll let Jesus just take over and be himself through us. Because the people in our world, they need Jesus. Lord, we're, we're, we're his advertisements. And maybe we were a poor advertisement up until this morning. I pray that that will change and change radically. I want this community to see Jesus in us. I want them to be drawn to him. I want them to accept him. I want them to follow him so that they experience everything that comes along with him. So that they find everything they're looking for in him. So help us do this, God. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.